0: Esther 9, verse 17, let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. It's alive, it's powerful. You say it's sharper than a two-edged sword because it can discern between our soul and our spirit, and, and that's something no one and nothing can do. You can speak to us in the inner person. Show us our need, show us your love, I pray that you would do that tonight through these words that were penned so many years ago, though the context is completely Jewish and on the surface has nothing to do with us, Lord. It has everything to do with us because you love us so much. Draw us into your presence, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The agonized athlete was a Slovene ski jumper by the name of Vinko Bogotáj. It was the World Ski Jumping Championships, 1970. Midway through his third run, Bogotaj felt he was going too fast and tried to slow down. Fortunately, he lost his balance and tumbled spectacularly over the side of the ramp. Bogotaj suffered only a concussion, though it looked to me like he was dead. He's the guy made famous in the opening of ABC's long-running series, Wide World of Sports. Some of you are old enough or pop-cultured enough to remember it. As the announcer opened the program each week, he would mention the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. That's right. Vinko Bogotage's failed jump defined the agony of defeat for a generation of sports enthusiasts. I bet he didn't think that when he took the field that day. The thrill of victory, the agony of defeat, that's a phrase that can sometimes define your life and my life as a Christian. You're told in the Bible that you have victory over the world, you have victory over the flesh, and you have victory over the devil because of Jesus Christ's work on the cross. You have victory over death and sin and the law. We're the victors. We are victorious, yet we often experience the agony of spiritual defeat. You may be here tonight having been defeated in some way today. Maybe you fell into sin Uh, Maybe it's a habitual sin. Maybe it was something new. Maybe you, you missed an opportunity to serve the Lord. You're not feeling that great. Our text in Esther is gonna give us some principles about preserving victory. Because the Jews had just defeated their enemies in Persia. They were the victors. And in the aftermath of their stunning victory, they did two things to remain victorious. We'll find out that they celebrated their victory and they commemorated their victory. And we wanna apply those same two strategies, we'll call them, in our own lives, both individually as Christians and, of course, corporately as a church. Now, celebrations normally follow victory. Sticking with the world of sports, we've all seen images of celebrations by the fans and the fanatics of the winning team. It's sad that they've gotten so violent and destructive. After a short while, the celebrations die down, and then folks get back to their normal routine, All that's left of the victory celebration is a T-shirt or a hat with their team's logo, maybe a bumper sticker. We need to change our way of thinking regarding Christian victory. It's not something we achieve once in a while and then celebrate for a short time, only to return to our normal routine with nothing more than a Christian T-shirt or a hat. Spiritual victory, as I understand it, is ours all the time to either believe or to ignore. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 2, Verse 14, he said, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And so it's possible to always be led in triumph in Christ. And this word triumph is a reference to a Roman parade called the triumph. It was a grand processional that celebrated a general's total and complete victory over the enemy. And so here's the thought, if I can have victory all the time, And celebration follows victory. I ought to be celebrating all the time. I ought to be excited about my Christian life, not defeated. Don McClure, one of our favorite pastors, always tells the story of the two guys run into each other, and and one guy looks a little bit down, and and his friend says, how are you doing? He goes, well, I'm doing okay under the circumstances. And the friend says, what are you doing under there? Why are you under your circumstances when you're seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ? Live above your circumstances. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You have a pretty big advantage over other people who are struggling to try and figure out life. God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside you as a Christian, and as we yield to him, we have to walk in victory. The Jews had won a stunning and complete victory over their enemies in the Persian Empire. They celebrated it. The way they temporarily celebrated their victory are ways we can permanently celebrate ours. Now, you remember the story. A decree had been issued by wicked Haman calling upon Persians to rise up and annihilate the Jews. After a dramatic scene in the palace where Queen Esther revealed to King Ahasuerus that she was a Jew, a second decree had been issued. It allowed the Jews to defend themselves and rise up against any of their Persian oppressors. After two days of fighting, the Jews were completely victorious. The first thing they did was rest, verse 17. This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar. And on the 14th of the month, they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. And so they rested physically on a particular day. We are to rest spiritually every day. It's a reminder to us that the work of defeating our enemies has been accomplished by Jesus. Our part is to walk by faith, resting in him trusting in him. I think we get knocked out so often because we're not ready for uh, strength out of our weakness. We're not ready for suffering. We're not ready for trials. We think there's something wrong with us. As we were singing tonight, I was thinking about I, I don't know why, but I was thinking about how ridiculous this whole health and wealth doctrine is that's been around for years where they teach that you should always be healthy and wealthy and and you know, those kinds of things. Man, the Apostle Paul would beat those guys up and then repent. I mean, you can't read the New Testament and, and come to that conclusion if you're thinking about the greatest Christian of all time, from our point of view, the Apostle Paul. I mean, this guy, he had so many things happen to him that were, in, that were anti-health and wealth, it's not even funny. You'd never come to that conclusion. Uh, by reading the word of God. And so we don't rest because we're agitated in trials and in sufferings, not realizing that it is out of that weakness that God's strength is being revealed. Just rest. The next thing the Jews did was feast with gladness. Verse 17 says... Uh, They rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were at Shushan assembled together on the 13th day as well as on the 14th, and on the 15th of the month, they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who dwelt in the unwalled town celebrated the 14th day of the month of Adar with gladness and feasting as a holiday and for sending presents to one another. And so all the Jews, both in the city and in the country, enjoyed a day of feasting and gladness. God wants to spread out before us each day a glad feast, or a feast that will make us glad. It's a spiritual feast, and of course, it begins with taking in the word of God. Read the word, read it from the perspective that God is revealing himself to you in and through it. One of the ways we recommend that you read God's word, people always say, where do I begin? How do I do this? Um... Pick a, a the guy if you're if you're not familiar with the Word of God, read the Gospel of John, and, and just take a little portion. There's no rush for you to get through the Bible. Uh, you know, if we give you a Bible tonight, I don't want you to come back tomorrow and say, "I read the whole thing, I got it down." You know, it it it's it's precept upon precept, line upon line. Start in the Gospel of John. Uh, and just read one section, a lot of the Bibles today are sectioned off you know with little paragraphs and stuff. Read that, read it again, read it again, keep reading it. The more you read god 's word in a repetitious pattern, the more he reveals to you. You see things in there, you see words that are repeated, you see concepts. he begins to speak to you i 'm not saying you shouldn 't have you know a Bible reading plan or try and get through the Bible in a year, but on, on some level, read the Bible slowly repetitively and let the Lord speak to you and let it be a glad feast. And just say, Lord, I'm not leaving here until you show me something. You have to show me something. And he will. And, and and to you it will be profound. I remember, you know, going up to seasoned Christians when I was a young, Christian, I just I just read this and I realized God loves me. <laughs> yeah, yeah okay, and, and as if that's not enough, you know? Get excited. If you're around young Christians, Quit being so weird. Maybe, you know, it's nice to have young Christians around brand new believers because they're excited about everything. Everything is new to them. And you don't have to come across as a note, oh yeah, I realized that 20 years ago. (laughs) All right, so what are you doing for God? Nothing, but 20 years ago I was on fire like you, you know. So just be encouraging. The next thing the Jews did was treat the day as a holiday. The word is mentioned in verse 19, the word holiday, is two words in Hebrew, good day. It was a good day because things had worked out for good. Reminds me of the fact that all things work together for the good, for them that love God. It's not positive thinking, it's uh, prophetic thinking because we know the ultimate outcome. God is working in his sovereignty, he works all things out for the good, for them that love the Lord. I can celebrate each day as another in the long providence of God that although I may not understand it, in fact, I'm almost certain to not understand most of my life, it is working together for my good and for his glory. God will work behind the scenes and uh, we just need to quit trying to figure out uh, what everything is about um, Every We live in a society, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but I'm going to say this anyway. Um, we live in a time when if something happens, we give it meaning by establishing something. We establish a fund. We establish a... Uh, you know, a a society or a a group or something like that. And then we can look back and say, this happened, this terrible thing happened so that this good thing could come out of it. And, And we, you know, now, if the Lord is leading in that, that's one thing, but there's gonna be a lot of things that happen in your life and in the lives of loved ones that you have no idea and you never will have any idea what good is coming out of it. Because God is working all things together for the good and and you're just gonna have to trust him. Because a lot of what happens in life is in the category we would put bad. But God is a God of providence and he will work it out for the good. We don't need to help him with that. We just need to walk by faith and keep trusting the Lord. Now the next thing the Jews did was send gifts to one another. God has given you gifts by his Holy Spirit who indwells you. They're not for you, they're for others. So if you have a gift, think of it as something that you need to be giving to someone else, exercising for someone else. They're to minister to others. Discover them, use them. If you've quit using them, then get stirred up and start using them again. People say, well, how do I know my gifts? Where are the list of gifts? Just come to church And get together with other Christians and minister to them. Think of how you can minister to them and you'll find yourself operating in the gifts of the spirit. Now you can celebrate your victory all the time, every day, if you're resting in God, feasting on his word, looking to your future hope and looking for ways to exercise your gifts to benefit others. It's so simple that we don't always do it. It's a very simple formula. Mordecai and Esther knew that the thrill of victory would quickly begin to fade, so they combined to think of a way to also commemorate that victory. They established on an annual basis what the Jews call the Feast of Purim. For us, the key principle in this section is found in verse 23, where it says, the Jews accepted the custom which they had begun as Mordecai had written to them. This word accepted is a poor translation Let me give you a better reading of the verse from the good old King James Version. It says, and the Jews undertook to do as they had begun. They undertook to do something that would commemorate the victory. It was a great undertaking involving thought and planning and foresight. The Christian life is a great undertaking. If we give it some thought, if we give it some planning, if we give it some foresight, then we can commemorate our victory on a daily basis. And so we have, to, we have to be thoughtful Christians. Though we yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit, uh, we need to be thoughtful and thinking about how we are going to minister uh, once he gives us his leading. Uh, it's, it's not really, I, I, I understand the phrase, let go and let God, but that doesn't mean that you don't do anything. We cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Verse 20, and Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters to all the Jews near and far who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to establish among them that they should celebrate yearly the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar, as the days on which the Jews had rest from their enemies, as the month which was turned from sorrow to joy for them and from mourning to a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and joy, of sending presents to one another and gifts to the poor." So the Jews accepted the custom which they had begun as Mordecai had written to them because Haman, the son of Hammedatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to annihilate them and had cast poor, that is the lot, to consume them and destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letter that this wicked plot which Haman had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. So they called these days Purim after the poor. Therefore, because of all the words of this letter, what they had seen concerning this matter and what had happened to them. Now, the Jews still celebrate Purim today. Like all celebrations, customs and traditions surrounding it have changed over the centuries. Do you realize that? You know, a lot of times people uh, from the pulpit will teach or people will say, well, this is what these people do uh, at this holiday. Well, I would suggest to you that, you know, we got Christmas coming up, or I hate to mention it, but Christmas is, is coming up. If you haven't started your shopping, you're dead already, you know, but anyway, um, Christmas is coming up. I would dare to say that though there are some similar traditions, we all have a, a, a various different ways of celebrating Christmas as far as the day and uh, the evening and, and what we do and how we do it. And we borrow from each other's traditions and all. And so, so just be careful when people say, oh, this is what they did. You know, as if everybody has a manual, as if we all have a man The church is gonna publish a manual. This is what you're gonna do at seven o'clock Christmas morning. We're all gonna be doing the same thing so that a thousand years from now, if, we're still, you know, if, if, if man survives, uh, historians will dig through the rubble and say, this is what they did in Hanford on Christmas, as if everybody did the same thing. And so uh, the traditions have changed over the years. So uh, just be careful about that and, and don't get drawn into these things. But one thing that they do, one of the more modern customs that they've added to Purim, the children dress up as characters found in the story of Esther. And the book of Esther is read aloud as it is acted out in a play or acted out with puppets. Every time the name of Haman is mentioned, everybody boos and hisses and stamps their feet. There are even special noisemakers called groggers. When the name of Mordecai is mentioned, then the people cheer. And so it's kind of a cool tradition uh, among the Jews. You know, so they read Haman, ah, Haman. You know, imagine, I imagine my little grandson, uh, You know, Zeke, you know, he's right at the age to just, ah, and stuff. And then you know, they're groggers, whatever those are, and cheering for Mordecai and stuff. So it's kind of cool. Do all Jews do that? No. But some Jews do, and there are a lot of different uh, uh, ways of celebrating. Now, the Jews established verse 27 and imposed it upon themselves and their descendants and all who would join them that without fail they should celebrate these two days every year according to the written instructions and according to the prescribed time. That these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province, every city, that these days of Purim should not fail to be observed among the Jews, and that the memory of them should not perish among their descendants. Now, I like the wording, they imposed it upon themselves. We would say we discipline ourselves. Discipline is a part of the victorious Christian life. We impose discipline upon ourselves, knowing that our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. They also imposed it upon their descendants. And so, parents, it's your joyous privilege to share Jesus Christ with your children and to impose Christianity upon them. I hope that doesn't offend you. You impose Christianity on your children because it's the truth. You definitely don't want your children to grow up in the world and say, you make up your own mind. Do whatever you want. You know what? Because they're sinners. Their own mind is already made up and bent towards evil. And so they need to be exposed to Jesus Christ. And they also impose it upon all those who would join them. Now, this doesn't mean we try to force others to become believers But we ought to take advantage of every opening and every opportunity to share Christ with them. So you can't force anybody to be born again, but you can represent Christ and you can show them the Christian life and give them a taste really of what it's like to walk in the spirit and to have victory over the flesh and over sin and over these things. Verse 29, then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter about Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus with words of peace and truth to confirm these days of Purim at their appointed time as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had prescribed for them and as they had decreed for themselves and their descendants concerning matters of their fasting and lamenting. So the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim and it was written in the book. Now, what's interesting, this feast was not prescribed by God. The Purim is not one of the uh, calendar feasts that God established in the law. It was wholly the invention of Mordecai and Esther, and so we would put it in the category of the traditions of men. This tells us that traditions are not wrong in and of themselves. They can be a great aid in passing on our faith to the next generation, or of exampling to the next generation what we're all about. It's when tradition becomes a traditionalism that we get into problems. One theologian said, tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. And so there's nothing more, uh, there's nothing wrong inherently about having our own traditions, whether they're in our family or whether they're in our church family. And we should desire to establish certain days and events that honor the Lord. Uh, But we should be constantly seeking the Lord uh, to alter or even to cancel them if they become traditionalism, if they lose their meaning and they just become uh, an empty shell. Uh, And so, you know, a lot of times people say one particular tradition that we have in the Western Christian church, Protestant church, is the dedication of babies, And every now and then, some super spiritual Christian will say, there's nothing like that in the New Testament. There is no New Testament uh, passage where babies are dedicated unto the Lord. And so then we will say, well, uh, Samuel was dedicated to the Lord in the Old Testament. Yeah, that's right. That's the Old Testament. We're not Jews. And And you know what? That's true. But you know what? I don't care because it's a tradition that we've established. And you know what? It's a good tradition. There's nothing wrong with it. Is there something wrong with praying for a family who just had a baby and dedicating that family to the Lord? No. So the answer to that is what's wrong with it? What's not taught in the New Testament? Well, neither is uh, golf taught in the New Testament or baseball. Uh, It is in the Old Testament, in the beginning. In the beginning, get it? Remember, that's an old joke. But uh, do you know what I mean? So, uh, so we have to be careful. There's nothing wrong with traditions. We have a lot of really cool traditions, I think, at Calvary Hanford. We just had one a couple of days ago, our Triple H celebration. You can't have any more fun than that as a Christian on Halloween. It's the greatest thing ever. And every year it gets better, and uh, we alter it. But you know, people look forward to it. Our, our family camp, when we, start, when we quit doing family camp, and then we were able to start doing it again. The thing that was so ministered to me so much is that the people who most wanted to go to family camp were adults who had gone when they were children and remembered it and how, excited it, uh, how exciting it was and now wanted to bring their children to family camp. And so if that ever becomes a drudgery or something that people don't wanna do, then we'll quit doing it. But there's nothing wrong with traditions uh, as long as they are spirit-filled. And so we wanna celebrate, we wanna commemorate, and we wanna let the Lord direct us to discover how to do those things. And may he just continue to direct us as a fellowship as well as families, amen?